Amen. Will you remain standing as we share in God's good word together these words from Luke 18. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. There are no nobodies in God's kingdom. There are no nobodies in God's kingdom. Will you say that with me? There are no nobodies in God's kingdom. Amen. Thanks be to God. We've been in the season of Lent. Season, uh, season of Lent is the time of preparation, 40 days before Easter, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the resurrection of Christ that will occur on Easter. It's not an everyday event, and so we need some time to prepare for this event. And as we've been in the season of Lent, we've been going through the gospel of nobodies, the gospel of Luke. And we've been asking you to read a chapter a day as we've been traveling and journeying through this gospel. Uh, Last week, we learned about the demon-possessed, how Christ even reaches out to those who would be broken on the inside, that that Christ even reaches those people. And we learned throughout this entire series that anybody can be made somebody in the name of Christ, even the demon-possessed and even the homeless beggars. I think this passage that we read from Luke 18 is is a great story, and it's a perfect example of of what some scholars call those thin spaces. Um, In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes how um, we see through a mirror dimly now, but soon we will see in full. He's describing how we view heaven. And he says, right now on this earth, it's like seeing through a mirror dimly. It's like we can almost catch a glimpse of it. And if we look through this mirror dimly, we can kind of see the outline of what heaven is supposed to look like. We can kind of tell that it's out there, but we can't quite see it in full. Not quite yet, but one day we will. Celtic Christians called these places those thin spaces, Those times where it seemed like heaven and earth were just divided by just a very small line. They call these things those thin spaces, those times in which we pause and we simply gaze in wonder as we think to ourselves, this must be what heaven is like. This must be what heaven is like. Have you ever had those moments? Those moments where you just stop and you just sigh and think to yourself, this this is it. This is what heaven is like. 
I don't know if you've ever had those moments. For many people, uh, it's maybe whenever their child is born or when their children are born. Um, this is, is a picture of that moment for, uh, for me and Melissa. Uh, there we are when um, Anna was born. And um, it was a pretty spectacular event. Um, I, I can't quite describe it as one of those thin spaces, though. Um, although this was an amazing event, it was incredibly stressful. Right, I mean, this was this was awesome, and and Anna was born, um, but uh, she was uh, ten pounds when she was born, and uh, Melissa's a trooper, and and when she was born, I, I watched her on the table, and and she just screamed and and screamed, and 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 she actually changed colors in front of my eyes. It was it was a terrifying experience, to be honest. And uh, I, I can't quite say that this was my thin space. That this wasn't one of the moments that I was really hoping that this is what heaven was like. But for some people, you know, this was that moment. And, and, and that's awesome. But um, I have another picture here of, of my actual thin space. Um, when Anna was born, I was in the middle of seminary. Uh, I was in seminary full-time, uh, pursuing my Master's of Divinity degree. Um, and I was also working full-time at a church at Nichols Hills United Methodist Church. Uh, so it, it was a very busy time for me, and I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to spend enough time with uh, my new family. Uh, this was actually taken about three months after Anna was born, and while I was working at the church, I would get about an hour or 45 minutes for lunch, and I lived about five minutes away from the church. And so during my lunch, sometimes I wouldn't even eat, um, but I would come home, and, uh, and I would grab Anna, and we would go back into her nursery, and we would rock uh, for 30, 45 minutes, and most of the time, she would sleep like this, and uh, sometimes I would close my eyes with her, or I would simply look at her and watch her breathe, and uh, in those moments, things just kind of melted away. No matter how many papers I had to do, no matter how many things I had to do back at the church, uh, those things didn't matter in that moment. Um, in, in, in this moment, this was a thin space. I would sigh and think to myself, this must be what heaven is like. This is close. This is that thin space. I imagine that's what happened for many on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho with Jesus. Right? Jesus is traveling, and, and we read that he's traveling on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this path that he's traveling might as well be called the path of mercy. Uh, I, I think it's such an accurate description for this road because uh, Jesus not only uh, performs this act of mercy while he's on this road, uh, but he also tells another story about this same road. Uh, many of us know it as the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Jesus is quizzed by a lawyer, by a Pharisee, um, a teacher of the law, um, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this story, and he says a certain man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he was traveling, he fell into the hands of robbers, and there he was beaten within an inch of his life, and everything was taken from him. He was stripped naked, and he was left on the side of the road to die. And he says, just then a priest came by, a a, a priest in charge of religious order in the sanctuary, in the temple. And the priest was coming down the road, and he saw this man who was naked, beaten within an inch of his life, bleeding, almost dead. And when he saw him, he went to the other side of the road and walked by. He says, but then a Levite came, an even more important person who is in charge of religious order. And and as he's walking down this road, he also sees this man moaning on the side of the road, just hoping for somebody to show him an act of mercy, anything that he could have while he's lying there. But the Levite goes to the other side of the road and keeps walking. 
And then he says, but finally, a Samaritan, a half-breed, the hated of Jewish society. Uh, during the Babylonian exile, when, uh, when all those of Judah were taken up north into Jerusalem, they were forced to intermarry so that they could lose their Hebrew lineage. And, and those children that they had were later known as Samaritans, these people who reminded them of this awful time in Jewish history, these, these Samaritans, these awful people. This, one of these men was, were walking down the road and they saw this man lying there half, uh, half dead on the side of the road and the man stopped. And he bound his wounds. And he put him on his donkey and he walked him to an inn. And there he paid the innkeeper more than enough wages to care for this man. Jesus turns to the Pharisee and he says, Who was this man's neighbor? The Pharisee says, Well, the Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Show mercy on this path of mercy from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is a very interesting uh, path, Jerusalem to Jericho. It's, um, it's about 12 and a half miles. It takes about seven hours to walk this path. And the elevation difference is, is about a half a mile. So it was quite a trek. And erosion occurred very often on this road. And so many times the road that you were traveling was not the road that you had traveled previously. And sometimes the road would just end and you wouldn't know exactly where to start. And so you'd have to backtrack and go around a different way. It, it was a very tough journey. And Jesus is traveling with a group of people. Um, earlier, we learned that they're Pharisees, these lawyers, these people who read the Torah, the first five books of what we know as the Old Testament. And they're in charge with carrying out the law of the Old Testament. And so they're traveling with Jesus. And every once in a while, Jesus will stop with these Pharisees and he'll tell them a story or he'll tell them a parable. And, and what he's trying to do is to convey to them what the kingdom of heaven is like. And as, so as they're journeying, they're walking together, Jesus will stop and he'll use some kind of illustration. He'll say the kingdom of heaven is like this, or, or the kingdom of heaven is like this, or the kingdom of heaven is like this. And every time he tells the Pharisees something, they don't get it. And it seems like the more and more stories he tells, the more and more ways he tries to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like, the, the further and further they get from the truth. And so Jesus is journeying with these Pharisees, and they're traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and they walk by this blind beggar. And the beggar asks, what's happening? Who is passing by? And the Pharisees say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. But then the blind beggar cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The difference between Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus, son of David, could not be greater Right, that when the blind beggar asks the Pharisees who it is that's passing by, the Pharisees respond, oh, it's just Jesus of Nazareth. It's just Jesus the Nazarene. It's, it's Jesus from this nowhere town. Right, it's Jesus from, from, from nowhere. There's no reason to get up. There's no reason to worry. But the blind beggar cries out, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of the great king of Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who will come and save us, Jesus, the Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He cries out, but the Pharisees say, no, 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 just, just, just don't cause a ruckus right now, please. We're just, we're trying to get, it's going to take us, you know, seven hours to get there anyways. Just please don't do anything to embarrass us. Please just, just stay where you are. And he cries out even louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. 
And he has the man brought to him. He says, what, what do you want me to do for you? The man says, Lord, let me see again. Jesus says, very well, you may see. Your faith has saved you. And then what's most miraculous about this story is not that this man regained his sight. The scripture tells us that he regained his sight and he began glorifying God and he actually traveled with Jesus. He continued to walk with him on their trek to Jericho. Uh, But it not only tells us that this man glorified God, but it says that everyone who was around him began to praise God as well. All of the Pharisees, all of these people whom Jesus is trying to explain, he stops again and again and tries to say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Parable after parable, story after story, and they don't get it. Until finally, Jesus stops and sees this man who knows he needs mercy, who knows that he needs something from Christ. He stops and he shows this man mercy, and all of a sudden, the Pharisees get it. They see it. They stop in amazement. They find that thin place and they think to themselves, surely this is what heaven is like. This is that thin space when mercy is shown. It's an incredible story. But as we read it, we've got to wonder, why this guy? Why why this blind, homeless beggar? I think one of the reasons is that if If the gospel of Luke wasn't known as the gospel of the nobodies, I I think it would be called the gospel of the homeless. I I, I think it's an accurate description of the gospel of Luke because there's story after story of of the homeless. And Jesus even tells parable after parable of the homeless. There's even another story that Jesus tells, um, which which often gets called the story of Lazarus and the rich man. It's an incredible story in the gospel of Luke. Jesus begins the story by saying there was a very wealthy man who, uh, we're not going to hold it just yet. Can we go back to a black slide? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Jesus says there was, there was this rich man, and, and he, he wore purple linens. Now, in, in this time, Romans actually relegated who could and who could not wear purple. That you had to be in a certain income bracket, you had to be in a certain social status, be able even to wear the color purple. That this guy was at the top of the, of the social ladder. He wore purple linens and he feasted sumptuously every day. And outside of his gates was Lazarus, the the poor man. The man who begged for the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. And this man had sores on him that oozed. And the dogs would come and lick his wounds and he would have to fight away even the dogs. Jesus said they both died. They both died and Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham, the place we know as heaven. Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham, but the rich man went to Hades, went to what we know as hell. Now, in the time of Jesus, it was believed that if you were prosperous, if you had a lot of money, if you had a lot of stuff, it was believed that you were blessed by God with those things. And that if you were blessed by God with those things in this life, then you would be blessed by God in the next that, that surely all of these things were a sign of what was to come. But Jesus turns all of that on his head. Jesus turns all of that upside down and says, no, no, no. They both died. 
Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham and, and the rich man went to Hades. And, and he was in the torment and he looked up and he could even see Abraham and he could see Lazarus next to Abraham. And even in these moments when he's being tormented, he still thinks that he can order Lazarus around. And even in the life after this one, he still thinks that he has some authority. And so he says, Abraham, tell Lazarus to get me some water. Get me some water. Dip his hand in some water. And let it drip on my tongue. For I am in torment, he says in the flames. And then Abraham responds in this way. Child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has been fixed so that so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. Then the rich man said, Then, Father, I beg you, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if Someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. I think this story is so telling of the gospel of Luke and the gospel of the nobodies. That that if we want to know the direction that, that... Luke is writing, if we want to know the people to whom Luke is writing, we only need to read this story. Look at this parable. It's the only parable in which anybody is named. Only a parable in which anybody is named throughout the entire gospel, and it's Lazarus, the one who has the sores, who begs outside of the rich man's house, that this person is named. And where does he get to go? But the bosom of Abraham. This is so countercultural to the, to the people around Jesus that as soon as he started to tell the story, everybody was on edge. That nothing is said about Lazarus' faith. Nothing is said about, about Lazarus' faith. We don't know if he went to the temple. We don't know if he was a good religious person. We don't know if he tithed. We don't know any of that. All we know is that he knew that he was in need of mercy. All we know is that he knew he was in need of mercy. Yet the rich man never gave it to him. The rich man saw him day in and day out and never paid him attention, never gave him anything. And this was their payment. Strong words for people of faith, both here and abroad. That we keep reading through the Gospel of Luke again and again of these homeless beggars that Why would Jesus point these people out? Why these people? I think one of the reasons is because Jesus himself was homeless. Jesus was homeless. We read this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. That as the disciples were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I I think it's so interesting that when God decided to become incarnate, when when the Word of God decided to become flesh, when, when, when Jesus Christ decided to become on this earth to save us on this earth, he didn't come as a king. 
He, doesn't, he didn't come as a rich ruler. He didn't come as a warrior. He didn't, he didn't come as this great person, but he came as a homeless rabbi. He came homeless, bearing nothing, being born of nobody parents in a nobody town in nowhere. He came in this way so that he might save you and I. Why would anybody do that? let alone the God of the universe. Not only this, not only this, but Jesus sends his disciples out homeless. We read this a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Then Jesus called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving, that town shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Jesus gathers the twelve disciples around, and, and, and he sends them to go and preach the good news. Go and preach the gospel. Go and tell the world now that I'm creating this new covenant that will change the world. I'm creating this new covenant, not between God and a certain group of people. I'm creating this new covenant between God and all people. That go tell the world the most important message that they will ever hear. Go to the world. I'm sending you on the most important mission, Jesus says, and I'm sending you with zero supplies. I'm sending you homeless to do the most important thing in the world. Why would anybody do that? I think because Christ depends on people who depend on Him. Christ depends on people who depend on Him. The Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of the nobodies, they were the ones who recognized that they were made somebody in the name of Christ. That if any of us believe that we have made ourselves somebody, if we have done anything for ourselves, if if we who are gathered here gathered all of the stuff around us to think that we have made it, we finally arrived at the place at which we set out, I've finally done everything for myself that I can set to do, that that's not where Christ wants us. Christ wants us to know that, that, that all of our income, all the things that we own are not really ours, but all that belong to God in the first place. That all, even our families don't even belong to us, but they belong to God in the first place, that all of this stuff never belonged to us, but it belonged to God, that he's the one who gives it to us, that we are to devote it to the work of Christ, that we are not to be dependent on what we can do, but we are called to be dependent on Christ, because that's what Christ desires from us. That's why he chose the homeless. That's why he chose the demon-possessed. That's why he chose the nobodies. Because they knew they needed him. Do we need Christ? Do we depend on him? It becomes much harder when we recognize all the things that we've done for ourselves, but it's something to which Christ invites us. And it's an important question to ask. Quite a few times I've gotten the opportunity to worship at a place called Redemption Church. Uh, it, it's a church located on Penn Avenue in Oklahoma City, just south of 23rd. 
Uh, it's a ministry of what's called CJAM, uh, Criminal Justice and Mercy Ministries. Redemption Church is a worship service designed for and by uh, current and prior inmates, those who were incarcerated. Um, it's an amazing worship experience where uh, those in minimum security prisons are, are bussed down to this church and their families can actually worship alongside them. Uh, those who have also been uh, previously released from prison can come back to this uh, church and worship as well. It's, it's an incredible experience, and, and, and I invite you to have this or a similar experience. Uh, because what I found there was what it was truly like to worship with people who needed Christ. To worship with people who needed Christ, who recognized that need. I saw that need most not in, in the worship songs that we sang together or not in the sermon that we heard, but after all of that was done, uh, there came a moment in worship where we shared our joys and concerns with one another. We shared our joys and concerns, and somebody among the congregation stood up and came to the middle aisle and, and raised their hands and, and said, okay, it's time for the joys and concerns. Um, do you have any? And it was kind of quiet for a bit, nobody wanting to speak first. Until finally somebody raised their hand. And they were called upon. And they said, my friend just tested positive for HIV. The congregation responded, Lord, hear our prayer. Somebody else raised their hand and said, I have six years left in my sentence. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Congregation responded, Lord, hear our prayer. Somebody else raised their hand and said, my wife just had our kids taken away by DHS. Congregation responded, Lord, hear our prayer. in those moments that I realized we really need Christ. And the difference between Redemption Church and Acts 2 is really not that great. Because if we were being honest, if we all looked at our inward being, we would recognize the fact that no matter how many things we can acquire for ourselves, no matter how many things we can do on our own behalf, no matter how much we want to try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, no matter how much stuff we can do, we must never forget that our salvation was given to us as a gift, that our salvation was earned not by our own doing, but our salvation was given to us by a homeless rabbi who had nowhere to lay his head. That's how God chose to save us. That's how God chose to show us mercy. Now go and do likewise, even for the homeless beggar, because anybody can be made somebody in the name of Christ. Amen.